Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun Application Performance Monitoring, you've got all the information you need right at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun makes it easy to monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. Visit Raygun.com and join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every day to deliver flawless experiences for their customers. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Still holed up in our respective homes, just, you know, like we always have. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, so suddenly introversion is an, is an asset, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are you complaining about? I've been doing this for years. Yeah, this is what I wanted to do in the first place. Now you're just not <laughs> mad at me for doing it. That's right. It's almost better. <laughs> Go away and leave me alone. <laughs> uh, how you been, man? Uh, I'm fine. I'm head down on history.net, man, trying to get it finished this year. Pounding away. You really making progress? Yeah, yeah. I picked up a few new uh, hard-to-get-to-land interviews. I got. I finally talked to Bob Muglia. Wow. Who, who, is, who was a president at Microsoft. So, he's actually the most senior person in the book now, effectively. Wow. Sure. But, uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, I don't know if you remember him much from our RD days, but he was always oh, very do. forthright with us, very direct kind of guy, and he yep. was absolutely like that in the interview. It was fantastic. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. You are you are going to have uh, a textbook when you, you're done. I'm trying to keep it to a reasonable size. There, therein lies the real problem, right? It's like yeah. – we, is how where where do you go? But he presided over those moments in Silverlight in 2010 that we care so much about, and I was really grateful to have his version of what happened. So I have something you're gonna love exactly. for Better Know Framework. All right, man, All hit right. me with your crazy music. Roll the crazy music. <laughs> What do you got? Richard, what was the last real gadget you got? Oh, I don't know. I get, I mean, I've, if you talk about the video gear, I get gadgets all the time, right? Yeah, like yeah. Green screens and all that sort of thing. But you talk about the gadget I've talked the most about on this show in the past couple of years. Well, I kn- we all know that one. But, you know, what's, what's one of uh, a recent gadget that you were actually really impressed with? The ATEM Mini Pro. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the video switcher is amazing. Yeah, you talked about that last week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty cool stuff. All it's right, great so piece of tech. I have something you're going to like. You're probably going to think it's not really useful for you, but you know because you don't like take your laptop and go work at Starbucks all that often. But for the mm-hmm. rest of us, this is the Mobile Pixels Trio, a portable dual screen laptop monitor. It actually connects to the back of your laptop. Nice. And one screen comes out the left. And the other screen comes out the right. So, not a dual, but a triple. Yeah, it's called a trio, but it it itself has two screens. But two. You can have three screens on a laptop. That's awesome. And it's USB, plug and play. Because, you know, I've, I've, I carry that Asus 
a USB monitor with me with my laptop all the time. Right. And I used to carry two of them, but it just made people angry. Yeah. Because you take up a lot of room when you got three screens wrapped around you. Sure. But, uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Your, your basic, um, uh, you know, uh, speaker's lounge at Dev Intersection where space is limited, you know, yeah. that, that wouldn't fly. That's like the <laughs> equivalent of man spreading. Yes, exactly. <laughs> your monitor spreading. <laughs> it's like, excuse me, oh, just stretch out right stretch here. Stretch all my monitors out now. You get all just, you guys, get away from me. Well, these days with COVID, I guess it makes it a little I, easier. I, Nobody's I, sitting I, that close to you anyway. I just, it just occurred to me. This would be a great response to the COVID uh, crisis. It's like guaranteed a meter on either side, at least. Yeah. Should be two, but you know, at least. It's a start. Well, anyway. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> it's a good start. And it's the best start. thing is the, the price. For one screen, 259 For two screens, 500 bucks. Awesome. I got to get one. Yeah, it's very cool. You get one, definitely. I'm going to have to pass it with, uh, get it past she who must be obeyed, though. Measure, but also measure carefully. Make sure it'll fit on your laptop, too. Uh, screen good, size matters, right? Good, good, good point. Yeah. All right. Well, who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, well, we've, I know we've talked to Glenn a bunch of times before, but we've never talked to him about Graph, and he's over on the Graph team now. So, I actually grabbed mm. a comment off a of show 1277, okay, uh, which is a show we did about Microsoft Graph with Jeremy Thake, yep. uh, who I don't think is at the Graph team anymore, but he's probably still at Microsoft. And this is from April of 2016. So, it's old. You know, it's 400-something shows ago. But I think it's very relevant, too, because this comment comes from Charles who is actually talking about how Office 365 is headed down the Java path. He's like, come on, Microsoft, don't force your users to write JavaScript. And it's like, well, don't blame all Microsoft. That's the Office team that is wrestling with how, how to do this. Mm. That, you know, you've got Xamarin, so you should be able to run .NET on everything, and .NET would be easier scripting language to add into Office rather than JavaScript and a way to get away from VBA. Because let's face it, VBA has been in Office for a really long time. Sure has. So, uh, the, he also talks about a couple of complaints he has with Office 365 add-ins. Uh, the first is that they don't support user-defined functions, uh, which is one of the challenges he has with Excel. If they, if you added user-defined functions in JavaScript, I don't know how much happier that would be making. And he's concerned about that too, because it's like, I'm concerned about the performance of this. Mm. And of course, that was one of the things VBA was good at is you could refer to VBA code inside of Excel. Yeah. Um, and this model only supports adding functionality to document through the add-in, which means if you want to distribute a more complex piece of logic to your clients and colleagues, you have to get them to install the add-in. And good luck trying to do that, right. much less to maintain it. It's just a really tough uh, distribution model compared to having it all self-contained. And he goes on to say, I'm, it's frustrating to me to see that Microsoft's not really developing Office for its user, but rather for ID departments. It's like, hey, dude, ID departments are the guys who buy it. Right. In huge quantities. And I'm sad to see Microsoft not really developing Office for its users, but rather for ID departments, which yeah. uh, might be a little extreme, but ID departments buy a lot of copies of Office and they're the ones who have management at scale problems. So mm. I, I, if it's true, and I don't know that it is, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, users have barely had new features in Office since 2007, not even talking about VBA. Uh, for example, almost every single report is prepared in PowerPoint and is not, uh, but it's based on data and analysis prepared in Excel. Updating PowerPoint from Excel is a challenge. A copy-pasting method of tables and charts is unstable and slow. Although, again, this is the whole point of having a suite, right? The presentations are done over there. They, well, the main thing is the integration should be good. Uh, 
Right. Being able to solve the integration between these apps would be a massive improvement. And I really don't need another way to do a pivot table. Well, because Excel <laughs> is everything. Anyway, uh, you know, it, it brings up this whole conversation. Hopefully, we'll talk to Glenn about this as well, about the programmability of Office and how it's been focused. Because it, we never had a good .NET solution for programming Office. Like, we tried a couple of times, but they were yeah. never any fun. Uh, and obviously, the you know Office team is very focused on Google Docs, which is very JavaScript-centric, one way or the other. And you and I use Docs together all the time, like sure. our ability to write scripts for ads and things where yep. we simultaneously are both typing. I always marvel at that. It's at pretty that. awesome. It's kind of amazing. And just running from a web browser, which is astonishing. So I know, I know why office 365 is focused on that. It's a remarkable capability. Yeah. That being said, with my IT hat on, it's like, I don't think I'd in an enterprise, I could recommend Google docs. I, you, you just don't have the same level of control. And, and control is important, right? You have legal That's obligations true. around stuff when you get to a larger companies and that stuff really matters. Yep. Anyway, Charles, I think you kicked off an interesting conversation for us with Glenn and I appreciate your comment, even if it was four years ago and a copy of Music Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it in the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. And if you can tell me what DDE means, we'll send you another coffee mug. <laughs> I can tell you what it means. No, I even used it for office integration in a million billion years ago. Uh, of course. Yeah, that's why the, that's why it's funny. Um, that's funny. There's uh, uh, the applications programmability department of microsoft was established around things like dde and then later yeah, olay and we'll talk to glenn about that but for sure I, yeah let's let's bring him on here um officially glenn block is a seasoned leader with 20 plus years experience in software engineering and product management he currently works at microsoft again yay on the core ecosystem team where his team is responsible for microsoft graph and several services in M365. And I imagine that means Microsoft 365 as an acronym. Yeah. So Office 365 has been rebranded to yeah. M365. And yes. I, I think it speaks to the larger strategy of, of uh, you know, in the past. I mean, yeah. Okay. At least We're it's not on. Windows 365. Goodness knows. Well, you, you heard it here. M365. That's the first I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, the reality now is you can subscribe and it includes your, your Windows license too and a bunch of other things. Hmm. Well, good. We, do you remember those days, Glenn? DDE? I do. Um, yeah. Mm hmm. Ole. Ole. Ole DB. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know that we were happier, really. No, it was a mess back then too. Com, com plus MTS. Yeah. Let's go back. Oh, ActiveX. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Acronym Soup. Through yeah, the years. It's, it's a history of .NET in three or four sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. History of... of uh, Project 42. Oh, man. History of programmability of applications though. That's what Microsoft has really always been about. Did that whole thing come around because they had uh customers of office and word and things that weren't they these guys weren't really programmers but they wanted to be able to script and um make these applications work together with data like the whole office suite right you've got 
access. Yeah, I'm going back here. Like access for data, yeah. Excel for spreadsheets, which was also yeah. used as a database very often. And then they would want to type up reports in Word. And rather than having to copy and paste and format data out of Excel, they just wanted to embed that Excel spreadsheet. And then we had like the ability to change the spreadsheet in one place on a server and then it got updated live in the document. I mean, it kind of went nuts there for a while. And that is still alive and well, you know, since I, since I returned to Microsoft, one of the things I've been using, so I've been a big Zoom and Slack fan. Hopefully I'll still have my job after this <laughs> recording for that nice. reason. But, but I'm now using Teams. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that really blew me away was I clicked on a link to a Word document within Teams and it was embedded right there. Um, you know, I could, I could access the Word document and edit it right mm. from within Teams and click on an Excel and get the cells right there. I mean, I was really surprised. That's, a, that's something that Microsoft has usually done really, really well with is that whole integrated story across right. apps. And it, it definitely has not gone away. Right, but I do feel like it kind of got muddled there for a while. Like, you you think of a document as being a document. You write it, it stays, right? And now you have all these dynamic things in there. Can you really call it a document anymore? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's a modern document, but it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting. I mean, you have full applications that could be spreadsheets, but you've had that for, you know, 30 years. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. I, I, and I spent so much time in OneNote and, you know, sometimes you're typing letters and sometimes you've dropped a little grid down and, and, and doing some equations in it. And sometimes you've got a graphic and sometimes you've embedded a video or audio. Like the concept of a document's pretty strange these days. That equations thing is awesome, Richard. Yeah. Like I'm back, I'm back in school now and using OneNote and like one day just by like accident, like I wrote a formula in and it was solved. And, it solved and I was it. like, yeah. And I was like, whoa. And I <laughs> I had to pause at that moment and tell a whole bunch of friends at that point, did you know that you could actually like type formulas in Excel and it will actually, I mean, you in can, um, OneNote? You can not only type formulas, you can draw them with a pen and it will I solve them. That so, uh, this is how I wow. found that out. My youngest daughter is now going to college and she, that she's- that old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And, Mine's getting close. And she needed a, a new laptop. So, we literally went to Best Buy. She looked around. We had a budget. We found a, a, a Dell Inspiron, I believe it was. And it was a convertible. So, it, you flip it, the screen all the way over. It's a tablet. We got a pen. It's got Microsoft Windows Home 10 on it, right? And and she had been using a Mac at home uh, and also a Chromebook. So, she wasn't all that familiar with Windows, but she trusted me. You know, she's like, Dad, I trust you. Whatever you say is good. And, of course, you get the best bang for your buck, you know, with a, with a Windows laptop these days. It was literally like less than a thousand bucks. And it was an nice. i5 and eight gigs of RAM and, you know, five twelve gigabyte uh, SSD kind of thing, right? So... So, I said, you really got to check out the, the handwriting stuff. And remembering back to the old days of the tablet PC. Right. Where you could just start writing and it would just figure it out. I figured I could open up Word and I got Word 2019 installed on it, right? Office 2019. I installed it and I opened up Word and I said, yeah, check this out. And, you know, you just start drawing and it doesn't rec do any handwriting recognition. So, I sort of stumbled 
around a bit and there wasn't anything intuitive that would allow me to do just start taking notes, right? And then um, after a bit of Google binging, I found out that OneNote was the solution. So, Word doesn't recognize handwriting by itself. You have to go to OneNote and OneNote will recognize your handwriting, which then you can copy and paste into Word if you want. But uh, I thought that was a little strange. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brought the conversation to a screeching halt. I concur. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward silences. Awkward silence. Our silence is in agreement with you, Carl. That tablet PC was what? 2002, 2003? Yeah. And... You know, and it was everywhere in the operating system, and uh, there was this handwriting stuff. And I just figured, and it was, and some of it was just awful. Like my first laptop that I had at Microsoft, they were like dishing out, like this is back in 2006. They, like, we were getting, and they were beasts too. They were not that thin. Yeah. Those first tablet PCs. They were. Oh, man. They were so slow. Like the ones they were giving us were, I mean, I, it was so slow yep. and I was so frustrated <laughs> with, with it. So, things at least have come a long way. I don't feel that way now when I use styluses, whether it's on the Surface, which I've been pretty happy with, um, or on my iPad. Yeah, for sure. How did you end up at the graph team, man? I mean, I, don't, I understand coming back to Microsoft, but I figured you would have been in DevDiv for sure. <sighs> yeah, well, partially I think I was ready for a change. Mm-hmm. Um um, That's your style, my, my, though, Glenn. You, you exactly. I, I tr- you do things for a while, and then you go off and do something completely different. And I, that has been really good for me. That has made my life very fulfilling. So I, yeah. I enjoy having new experiences. But honestly, the first thing that attracted me to the graph team was by chance. I bumped. Well, maybe not completely by chance, but I bumped into my boss, uh, Yina Arinas. Um, years ago, we were both keynoting at an event in Portland, uh, API Strat, I think it was. We were both speaking on uh, different talks on APIs and we got to ride the train together for like three hours. Mm. And, uh, Daryl Miller, who I think, you know, he was, um, and he's on my team. He was there. And, and at the time he was actually interviewing to go to the graph team and uh, he introduced me to Yina. We just started chatting. And at the time, Graph was a lot younger. Um, and it was kind of this grassroots effort that had now like really started to grow. Mm. Um, and honestly, I was just really impressed with Yina. And I think one of the things I've learned, especially more recently, is that it's not about software. It's about people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. It's really, about, it's really about people. And so, I was just really impressed with her care for people and also her being a a woman of color who actually came to Microsoft through Grace Hopper and we talked a bit about her journey and some of her challenges and she, I mean, she's had an amazing trajectory at Microsoft, but I was just really impressed with her and was just like, I would, I would love to work for you. At the time I was, I believe I was at Splunk or I may have been at Alt Zero by the, by then because I had a few jumps, but, um, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. 
Um, and then, you know, flash forward, um, I was at my previous role at DocuSign and it just wasn't really the best role for me. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was ready for a change, but this one was a little bit different. I mean, it was quick. Like normally I, I go to a place and I'm there for a while, but I just realized it just wasn't the right fit and there, for me and there was just no point um, in sticking in that situation. And then it just turned out that uh, I spoke with Daryl Miller, who's a good friend of mine, who works for Yina, and he's like, you should consider us. And I resonated with the idea of the graph. Um, personally, I've never been a huge OData fan, as you might know, but this idea of having this one, one API that provides a gateway into tons of other services and provides a standard way so that you have to you don't have to access from 50 different places right. and learn 50 different formats. That really, um, to me, was compelling. Um, and uh, this ecosystem that the Graph team was building even early on was really compelling to me. So so that was there. And, um, yeah, I reached out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly I'm, I'm fortunate because I have the context to reach out to based on my experience and things like that. And then uh, we chatted and it was a good opportunity. There was a time when the team is really, Graph is really growing at Microsoft. Yeah. And uh, we talked about what was important to both of us. And then next thing you know, there I am. So I, I have um, a, a, an observation here. Now, first of all, we've talked about Microsoft Graph on the show before. It's just to, to be quick about it. It's a sort of, uh, exposing REST APIs and client libraries for data on like every Microsoft service that exists with one endpoint, right? So if you're, have you ever had this situation, Glenn, where you, you're on the graph team and you're working with, let's just say less experienced developers on the team and, and somebody th- thinks that they're going to school you on like web API and you're like, I invented Web API. I don't say it quite that way, <laughs> but you know, Web, Web API actually worked out quite well, and it is it is actually cool that a lot of stuff we're doing on Graph is built on top of Web yeah. API. So, um, actually, when I was at DocuSign, a lot of things I was working on were built on Web API as well. So, so that actually is one of the few projects I worked on that is done quite well. But You've yes, wanted I, to say it though. I, I, don't, I don't quite say it that way. In my younger days, I might have said it that way. But you wanted to say but, it. Uh, yeah. Less <laughs> subdued days. But, <laughs> right, my less subdued days. So how am I doing on the subdued meter? Uh, but you're, you're fairly <laughs> subdued. That was a subdued <laughs> response to that provocative suggestion <laughs> right there. So, but I think your definition is great. Like I, I, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but a lot of times when people ask me about graph, I'm like the one API to rule them right. all. Yeah. It's the way I like to describe it. Which, yeah. which is, which and, is and, also a path of failure, right? Like we all love this idea that we'd have this API that did everything, but then it does right. nothing well. Like that's gotta be a tough balance. Mm. It is a lot of work. And so, you know, I think it's you raising a really important point, which it's not just the idea of like having this one place where things can go, but how do you do it in a way that is consistent and feels good to customers? And because, I mean, this is not just something that internal teams are using. This is something that our biggest partners are using, Mm -hmm. that our customers are using. So, um, Daryl Miller, who I mentioned, we actually have our own API committee. 
Um, you don't just come in and say, wow, we want to put this on the graph. Yeah. You know, when can we send our PR and you push it live? There's, there's quite a bit of design work that goes in to ensure consistency. And sure. I give a lot of credit um, to our team. Uh, I mean, because I'm still fairly new, so I, I can't take credit for the things that we've done. But um, that we really put that energy in to ensure that we're crafting a good experience for customers. And we're, we're really trying to promote consistency. And Microsoft hasn't always been the best at doing that. And, and we are still messing up. But we're at least putting in the effort and have this learning mindset of like, how can we make things better and better in terms of the experience for our customers? Well, and it's just a question of, you know, Microsoft may not have the best track record on it, but compared to whom? I mean, how many things has Google killed this week? Like, you, know, <laughs> you know, like that. What do I care about as a dev? If I build against this thing, it's going to do the thing I want and it'll keep doing it, not randomly die one day because you changed your mind. And to Richard's point, you know, when he was reading the, the, the message, the comment or whatever you want to call it, that somebody left, it really is true that, you know, Google seems to be for the masses. But once you get into the enterprise, you need that level of control. You know, like I use Google Calendar and, and all of that with my family because mm -hmm. yeah. it's easy, right? Yeah. But if I'm going into an enterprise and I want to, uh, you know, have, have more fine-grained control over things, I don't want birthdays to be popping up in the corporate calendar. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I've hit this with nonprofits that I've been involved with where we hit the, you know, we hit the ceiling of permission capability and things that, you know, you have people join boards, they leave boards, what happens to all the document permissions and yeah. all of that stuff. Um, I, I do want to give a plug, though, you know, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about VBA and comparing that, I mean, the Google Sheets experience is pretty magical in it terms is. of the way you can customize it and do all of that mm -hmm. in a browser. Um, and I used it heavily. Um, I mentioned, well, it didn't get mentioned in my bio, but I recently, as I mentioned earlier, went back to school um, and was building this uh, SMS-based solution for helping folks that are experiencing homelessness. This is one of the projects that we worked on. And we had all this data that we had to import and massage and things like that and literally built like a custom importer right in Google Sheets. Um, and the web-based authoring experience was just pretty fantastic. Wow, actually. cool. And were you programming in JavaScript? Yeah, they're variants of JavaScript, I guess. You know, they have like – it is JavaScript. I think it's like they use the – javascript virtual machine but right. then there's like you don't have access to packages and things like right. that but it's like, like the v8 engines under there it's the v8 i think it's like v8 yeah but yeah. It, but it was a pretty nice experience um and and pretty easy to test against and yeah I, they did I a, love their products. Give them kudos they did a good job there yeah i love their products i use them all the time and their speech recognition is second to none yeah, it, it's always about the sustainability part. Like, there's some people who just have a hate on for JavaScript because th its approach to language frustrates them, and they probably have scars because JavaScript has gone through a lot of convulsions over the years and required a lot of up keeping up with, you know, because of that. Well, and I, and I you know, off of poke at folks and say, I don't know that you hate JavaScript so much as you hate the the DOM experience, right? Yeah. That everything that the DOM did over the years made JavaScript wonky. But when you see the language on its own, I mean, it's a dynamically typed, somewhat functional language. Like, it's fine. You yeah. just have to write good tests around it. 
And if, you know, that's what TypeScript does for you is essentially build tests in as part of your declarations, which is clever and a, and a great solution to the problem if that's the way you think. It's pretty amazing, though, watching the uptick of TypeScript. Yes. I mean, it is. Well, uh, in my mind, it's what making sustainable JavaScript. Right, right. Yep. Yep. And, and that's the whole thing is the, the art of building code that's going to last. That when I come back to this years later, it's not we should start over. You know, if your if your reaction to a project that hasn't been touched in a year is it's easier to write a new one than touch this again, then you know you, you've made you've got a problem. You made a mistake. Yep. Well, and traditionally, I think Microsoft was not you know was was always pretty strong at like being able to create things that are going to be around for a long time. It was more the kind of uh, some of the you know the tools were really kind of optimized toward these very big, gigantic, yeah. large type projects. And they were not the best for like moving fast. Um, well, but, and it reflects the customer base too, that, you know, Microsoft yep. has won in the enterprise and that's where they tend to go. And guys, I'm going to interrupt for one moment with this very important message. Hey, here's another great reason to use express VPN. It lets you access the internet as if you're from a different country. Netflix, for example, has different shows and movies available depending on where you are. With ExpressVPN, you can unlock thousands of new shows and movies from streaming libraries around the globe. Netflix, Amazon Prime, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and many more. And you can choose from almost 100 different countries. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. You can stream everything in HD quality with zero buffering. And ExpressVPN is available on every device, your phone, your laptop, your tablet, even your TV. That's another reason why, even in my home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. So, protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com .net, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash D-O-T-N-E-T. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey. This is our friend Glenn Block, who has joined the Microsoft Graph Team. And Glenn, what are you doing for the Graph Team? That's a great question. Um, so, part of what I'm doing on the Graph Team is not actually Graph. So, um, <laughs> let me describe it best mm -hmm. this way. So, Graph builds on top of this platform in Office. It is a massive platform. Yes. It's not Azure. It's a massive platform that drives a bunch of services, not just across Office, but across Windows and other products as well. And so one of the things that lives there and the foundation of this service goes all the way back to Exchange um, yeah. and mailboxes. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that mailboxes are used for way more than email, but one of the things they're used for is email. And so there are a number of services and protocols, things you've heard of like POP, IMAP, uh, Mappy. Um, there's Exchange Web Services, which has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And there's EAS, mm -hmm. Exchange Active Sync, which you've probably heard of. Yep, yep. My team actually manages all of those services. Oh. Now, even though I'm on the graph team, why do we manage those services? Because we are also responsible for surfacing email into graph. So if you go into graph and you access your mailbox, you're hitting against services that my team manages. Interesting. Wow. Um, so it's the largest scale thing I've ever worked on. 
I mean, we're talking about trillions of requests a day wow. across all the services that we're managing. Wow. I mean, it strikes me that that the move of Office into the cloud, the becoming of Office 365 and now Microsoft 365, in some ways kind of decomposed all those products into sets of APIs, that exchange is no longer just exchange. Exactly. But but it's really interesting that it all goes back to exchange. <laughs> like a lot of what is driving all of Office today is in terms of its platform in the cloud is an Office 365 all has its roots in exchange. I've hmm. only recently learned this. And so a lot of those pieces that were in exchange evolved into this underlying office platform. And so my team owns a bunch of pieces of that. But one of the things we're trying to do is, so there's, the graph is really interesting because it's an amalgamation of services across the company. Mm -hmm. Some of those services actually do exist within that underlying platform that I mentioned in office. They're pulling data out of that platform. Um, for example, like if you use Teams and you create like a channel in Teams, the data for that team, it's actually stored in a mailbox. So the mailboxes are way more than just email. Um, they're, they're used for a ton of different things. But then there are other services like in Azure that have nothing to do with this platform, but they are surfaced out through Graph. And the nice thing for the customer, you don't have to care. You That's just right. go to Graph. You know, you look at the schema, find the data that you want, uh, and and grab it. But behind the scenes, it's going to a number of different places. So one of the cool things that my team is responsible for is um, how we get information that is and APIs that currently live within that Office platform and that today don't live on Graph into Graph. Mm. And so there's a lot of platforming work being done there to kind of figure out how to make that onboarding simpler. There's data translation because sometimes the APIs tend to all be OData. So right. OData is the de facto standard, but the OData for graph and those conventions that we've set in place are different than what a lot of our internal teams are using. So some of that work is about like, how do we make it seamless to be able to do that translation um, from how the data is presented within the platform up into graph. So that's really exciting because the better we can do in that work, the more data that's going to become available to our customers. And one of the problems we have that we're trying to really focus on today is really make it so that we treat third parties and first parties the same. And what that basically means is not having one API that first parties use and a different API that has to be built for third parties to get to the same data. Yeah, so I, that's I, a very exciting thing that my team particularly is central in driving. And that really energizes me um, that we're uh, really at the cusp of, of really this, this, uh, evolution that's happening within the platform well the first party you mean microsoft teams like different teams instead of microsoft yes yes good 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 yeah i'm living you know when we live in these acronyms we just yeah. use them <laughs> all the time but i, I can we see just we just say one p we say one p and three p but yes first party or other team like teams right microsoft teams would be considered a first party and and so by that token it's like you're implying that the challenge here is that often these 1P folks get special treatment or get, you know, they, they know where you work, right? They kind of hunt you down and say, I need this feature. 
Well, there's that, but I think it's more that they're building APIs for them. Right. I think it's more that they're building APIs for them that then when customers come along later and want access to that, it wasn't designed in that way. And there's no easy way to get those things out there. So they end up just building brand new APIs, yeah. for example. And this is where you end up uh, with just the croft of endless APIs. So a lot of duplication and then things are out of sync right. and other things. Yeah, right. there's huge, huge challenges there. So forcing you to do the thinking to build a generalized API that multiple one piece can use. Use and and all the three P's can use. Yeah, yes. and to be honest, I mean, we know that Amazon's done this. I mean, this is not new. Like Jeff Bezos was. I mean, a lot of the radical transformation of AWS was when this historic guideline was sent down by Bezos, where he was like, "Everything will be an API. You will not use anything other than published API endpoints mm-hmm. for services to communicate with one another. You're not going to take backdoors. You're not, and it's." It works. Um, when I was at Splunk, uh, that was one of the places where I really saw that in action. I mean, we basically committed that everything was going to be an API. Right. Now, the challenge with that too is doing the due diligence to make sure then that it doesn't look like something that was built just to satisfy your first parties, even though you're exposing it to third parties, because yeah. that happens all the time. Yeah, and that is one of the challenges we're having to deal with why I mentioned that whole transformation. It's like, yeah, it's great. You built it this way, but this is how it needs to look. And maybe over time we get people to build it in the first place with the idea that it is going to be consumed. So it's kind of cool that we at least have a way to go from, you know, I don't want to call it the lipstick on a pig, (laughs) (laughs) but we at least have a way to do some crafting to better, yeah, I guess I did just, you know, cut that, Carl. <laughs> nah. Why would I do that? I know, when I play back the recording, it's going to be like, cut that, Carl. Cut that, Carl. Exactly. Cut that, Carl. No. Say a couple more times. <laughs> <laughs> I did a show on Run As a while back with one Jeffrey Snower, maybe you've heard of oh. him. Uh, uh, yes. talked to who's a, he's, he's with he's the, very active in my world. Yeah, so yeah. He called it the intelligent substrate. That's nice. Yes. Well, that's the platform I'm referring to. We're not actually supposed to mention it, but he already has. So there you go. There you that's go. The, the TF team, mentions that you're works. okay, right? I was beating around the bush, but yes, that's the bush. The intelligent. It's a, big, it's a huge bush. It's like a bush, you know, the size of the earth. <laughs> it's a huge. I mean, it's, it's a very big bush. Yes. And I was beating around it. Okay, you yeah, be, well, because the, the but now you can point to that run as show and go. Well, Jeffrey said it first in public, so it's not on me. Oh, I already know that because I already had asked. Like, I was like, oh, should I put this on my profile? And like, eh, maybe not. But anyway, but the, but you always have the problem with this. Is all confi- this this whole call is confidential. Well, right? Yeah, there's yeah, nobody. No. It's just us three. Nobody's listening. Yeah, don't be don't be silly. But when we talked to Je- to 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 um, Jeremy about this like four years ago, you've also got this sort of implied like the graph knows all things. Like it's sort of it's also vaguely threatening. <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot of different data that is in a single place, mm-hmm. um, so it becomes really imp- and some of that data <laughs> is sensitive, right? Yeah. So it's but it's not like that data wasn't available before in other APIs, but still like you would have to know about all those different APIs. The challenge, I think the serious challenge that gets posed here is the discoverability aspect, right? right? Because it's in a graph 
I can just see, oh, that's available. Let me go get that. And if it wasn't implemented properly in terms of the right security, well, you just got it. You got it. Whereas yeah. I don't know about all these other random URLs that exist unless I actually know about right. them. So that is definitely a problem. But the cool thing about it, I think, and, and this is what is really I've really learned to appreciate the power of substrate. There is a whole intelligence layer. And because we have this graph, we're able to make a lot of interesting insights that improve our products. Like when you use Outlook, there's a lot of things that are going on that are actually depending on uh, AI, which is running on top of data that is within the substrate. Mm -hmm. Like when you, uh, when, when Outlook offers you a suggestion of, you know, when you go to do a reply and it offers you a suggestion of like, you could use this, you know, here's a, here's a reply, here's a suggested reply. That's actually something that is based on our intelligence layer running against substrate. Or when you go and you look at a profile of someone and you see connections, like who are the people they talk to? What are the documents they've accessed? All, a lot of that is really coming from the graph and coming from substrate. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and not necessarily direct associations or they were in that email chain, but the fact is you're able to see these relations based on how people interact. Like it's a, the substrate's offering us a way to see the actual collaborations in an organization rather than their org charts. Exactly. And that's where I think it's very exciting. I mean, of course, with every advancement, there's always fears. But this idea of really being able to improve the way we work and providing relevant information that helps us to do our jobs better. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that really excites. I mean, and there are like thousands of people that work on this, just to give you an idea of the of the size of that bush that I was mentioning, sure. maybe tens, tens of thousands. So it's 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 huge. So, are we ready for third parties to be programming against this? Like, what would I be building that that I would need to poke into the substrate? Well, today you don't poke into it directly. Okay. So, well, okay. So, you use an iPhone and you go and connect to Office three sixty five. You know, you put that email address in, right? So, you put that email address in. You know, Richard Campbell at whatever. And let's say it's associated with an Office three sixty five account. Well, the first thing you do is hit against a discovery service. That actually is running in the substrate, and my team runs that service. Right. Then you get back a location of the server that's associated with that. And if that is an Office 365 server or an Exchange Online server, you are actually hitting against the substrate. You don't know it, but that is what you're hitting against. Yeah, it sounds like anytime I send an email through Office 365. Those, exactly. That's where those mailboxes live. Right. Um, but, you know, I mentioned Teams, for example. Like, it's just... In a lot of cases, you can think of it as an implementation detail. I mean, that's the whole value of graph is yeah. you just don't have to know. You don't. When you, when you go on graph and you go to access your email, you are hitting against that underlying platform because that's where all the mailboxes live. But you, you, don't, you just don't have to know that. Right. And it's interesting that it's, it's exchange all the way down, right? Although really, if you think about exchange that way, it's, it's all just messages. But most large-scale software is just messages. Windows is just messages. That is true. So, and, and I think that's why the whole mailbox paradigm actually works. Yeah. Because you can represent almost anything as a yeah. message. Yeah. It makes total sense. that it's, In the end, it's just messages, which means it automatically has a log. It has a chronology. It has order. It, it, it is auditable. Like, there's a lot of good that comes from that. I, I presume it's just not that hard for me to see every single time any application has called any of the substrate. Like, you're going to see it all. 
Yeah. The real interesting thing is the term cogs. When you talk about logs at that scale. Cogs as in cost of goods? Uh, cost of goods sold, yeah. yeah. Like the like the um, when we, when we talk about cogs, like what does it cost to run these services? Yeah. The kinds of dollar amounts you talk about when you start talking about logging is just unbelievable. Just logging alone, right? I mean, millions, tens of millions of dollars just in like log costs um, when you're dealing with scale of you know billions of people around the world that are that are accessing your services. Yeah. So it, uh, and, and it also makes you granularize. It's like how much do you, you know, in theory, whenever we ask, well, how, what do you want to log? They're like, log everything. It's like, are you really sure? Cause exactly. most of this stuff is stuff you knew. You, you really only want exceptions. Yeah. You don't want to be searching for the needle in the haystack. Yeah. It's tough, right? Because we come from this world where when you're traditionally used to logging everything, um, it's hard. You're worried like, well, what if I have to ask a question and the data is not there? And so there's a big move that we're, we're working through around more adoption of metrics. Um, and, uh, you know, just logging when there are conditions like error conditions. Sure. Log the detail, but outside of that, you can dramatically reduce your costs by, uh, keeping as much as possible just in metrics, you know, like I want to track how many requests are happening, want to track latency, things like that. I can get all that stuff in metrics without having to get all the detailed logs associated with them. Logs are a huge issue anytime you're running, you know, anything of immense scale. Right. Um, and, and you're uh, really, you're yeah. really creating a database that you have to then query against in order to find anything. The days of, for me anyway, the days of pulling up a log file, scrolling through or, you know, that kind of thing, they're just over. And storing that data is not free. It no. has a real cost associated with it, especially when you're running at immense, uh, immense scale. Yep. And we, and we know so much better now that, 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 uh. At the same time, it's also, this is why the AI stuff works because we do have a common substrate across all these things. Yep. So I wanted to touch on one thing you mentioned before about, mm -hmm. you know, developers and programmability and right. such. And so, I mean, a big part of the mission with Graph is really about enabling developers to get access to all the data that and services that Microsoft has available um, in a in a low friction way. Um, and, and allowing developers to benefit from those associations that, that we can make that drive our products. Right. So that's, that's, so it's, there's a, I mean, a, it's exciting actually to see with all the energy that is happening around graph at Microsoft, a lot of that is energy around developers and how do we enable ISVs and partners. Um, so that's, that's very exciting. And there's a lot more to come on that, um, in the future. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. More, more to be built there. And it just, yeah, I mean, the product, the po the possible programmability is amazing. But at the same time, it's like we can write logic apps too, right? Like there is an abstract layer inside of Azure that allows us to call into Office 365 and a whole bunch of other applications pretty nicely. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's true. And we definitely are partnering with, uh, with, with some of those folks that you I would imagine yeah, that's a, a nice marriage, right? Logic apps and, and, uh, Microsoft Graph. Yes. Yeah, and there's and and also power, um, you know, there's power apps, power apps and then yeah. there's um, 
And then there's the other product, which I'm not remembering, which also has power. I guess is, is it power apps? Yeah, Everything's power it, now. Yeah. Power is the new ActiveX, man. They've labeled everything power. You got so much power remember now. The dot, remember the .NET servers? Yes. Now we're just going to have power. All the .NET things. Yes. Yes. Power. All power, the windows. Power, power windows. <laughs> power Linux. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> and we probably should do some shows around this because in some ways it looks like Power Apps is the new VB, like the sort of right. safe easy way to, to, to write code and that uh, that will do stuff that people need right, for, for in, in a certain span of control. And look, I mean, access, I mean, was the, fen- to me, was the best representation of that I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Because prior to Microsoft, I mean, my first stint at Microsoft, I work with a large number of organizations that had folks building things in access and you know the 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 developers who really cared about craftsmanship and all of that kind of hated them yep but the other side is they were able to be really productive, productive and get things done i mean it really was the tool for getting things done and i i think that's one thing that microsoft did that was pretty awesome but well, they've always been um, good at that even though that's probably going to be considered blasphemous by some no but no they but only those who didn't live through it right those who the, the folks that, and i was one of them that jumped on that vb bandwagon at that time we laughed all the way to the banks it's true Made like, a lot of money. We wrote it's a really lot of code and got a lot of problems solved for people and they paid us well while folks were still going around in circles on C++ trying to figure out why they were hanging windows. Yep. I had this huge project that I worked on prior to Microsoft. We were working with this financial giant that they had like alpha piece, alpha piece, all C++, whatever. And like, you know, we were just there building stuff in like Access and VB. Mm-hmm. And, and they were like underwater with problems, sleeping under their desks. I'm not yeah. kidding. Yep. And it was just, and it was just so much code that they were writing. And it was like, we were cruising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we were. And delivering, we, right? And, so. and they're like, you're using what? Like, <laughs> You know, when they, our team initially, like, they totally do not respect us because we're like visual basic and like access. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, but I get to go home at night. And the measure is productivity. It's like we solved problems. And it it feels to me like what's being built out in this intelligent substrate is about solving problems for businesses quickly. I do think that's true. And, and, And one of the things I have to say that I really appreciate about being in this organization is I think there's... There is a lot of focus on like, hey, we need to make customers' lives better. Um, it's just something that is echoed constantly. Um, and it's it's great. I mean, it's just really important to remind us, like, are we delivering something that's valuable? Sounds like the end of a show. Sounds like it. Sounds like you're having a good time there, Glenn, too. Yeah. I am. I'm really, I'm really happy. It's, it's really nice to be back. Um, this is my first time coming back where I'm actually leading a team. Yeah. That's, I'm actually really enjoying that. Um, you know, as I, as I get older, uh, I'm enjoying more kind of taking my experience to help others to be successful. I've always enjoyed doing that. Well, you kind of don't have a choice, right? Nobody says, as I get younger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as I get younger, I'm acting less maturely and insulting more people. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, that doesn't work that way. <laughs> Some are doing that as they get That's older. That's a Bob yeah, Dylan song, too. isn't it? <laughs> but uh, no, and I, I actually want to just plug too that one thing that has been significantly different for me since I returned 
is just seeing how much focus Microsoft is putting on people. Mm, yeah. And in these really difficult times, I've been really impressed, like our exec VP, Rajesh Gia, the way, he, the level of empathy that he's been exhibiting and really encouraging throughout his leadership really has made Microsoft, to me, a, a much more rewarding place to mm. work. Um, so, it's really... And I also appreciate, like, you've been, you've bombed through a bunch of companies over the past few years. You've seen a lot of different cultures. It's interesting to see you come back to a different Microsoft than the one you left. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are coming back for that reason. Yeah. I mean, I, my good friend Jeff Handley, who's an engineering manager now over in .NET, he came right before me. And yeah, I was talking to a number of people over the last couple of years that just kept saying how how much it really has become a different company. And it's not just about, ooh, it's embraced open source. It's it's way bigger than that. No. Uh, and and Satya really has brought a different tone into the company. And I, I think for me, it really is about putting people first. That to me is, it's not about the fact that I can run Linux and Azure, which is super cool. Yeah. But now, you know, since I've left and looking at the state of things and especially looking at the times we're dealing with, which we didn't talk a lot about, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really been amazing, the care for people that, that I've been seeing coming from our leadership. Nice. It's all good stuff, man. Hey, Glenn, thanks so much for coming back on the show. We missed you, man. We really it's did. great to have you around. Yeah. I was so excited when I got that email. As soon as I see an email from Richard or Carl, I don't even have to read it. I know what it's about. And I'm like, yes. We are simple creatures. You know that. <laughs> well, I can't. I well, can't. you both, all of you take care of yourselves and your families and wish you the best. And it's great to see that this show is, I mean, this show is amazing and still, still going strong. Still doing the thing. 1700 episodes later. Not dead yet. That is insane. Maybe, I think it's like I think he's pining for the fjords. <laughs> Feeling much better. It's like, it's like 14 or 15 or something for yeah. me. It's, it's yeah, you're up there. Yeah. Well, this is show 1703. So, if that gives you any indication of how long we've been doing this thing. Glenn, uh, it's been so great talking to you. And, and I, I can't wait for the day where we can... You know, sit in a cafe in Copenhagen and uh, raise a glass together. That would be awesome. All right. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Thanks, man. Thanks. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a